0: Over the holiday period, a six-year-old girl from South London found a note inside a Christmas card from Tesco's with a cry for help from Chinese prisoners who have been forced to manufacture the cards inside Chinese prisons. This episode today explores the human rights violations within the Chinese prison system. The Chinese practice of using prisoners as forced labor is reported to have started already in the 1950s, when the Chinese Communist Party first assumed control of the country. But it is only since the 1990s that this system of forced labor has become known to the wider world, largely to the efforts of human rights organizations and activists. This workforce has become extremely important for the Chinese economy, which has been becoming more and more under pressure from other Asian countries in the production of cheap products that range from these Christmas cards, decorations to textiles. Today we have Peter Humphrey with us who has experienced these violations firsthand. From the university of cambridge and the center of governance and human rights i'm katrin wittig and i'm your host for this episode and this is declarations i also have with me in the studio jonas as panelist who will also help lead the discussion
1: it's good to be back
0: great great to have you back and as our special guest today we have peter humphrey Thank you so much, Peter, for joining us today. It is an honor to have you with us.
2: Hello, um, thank you very much for having me today.
0: To introduce Peter, Peter Humphrey is a leading China specialist. He's the founder of ChinaWise, a risk management consultancy specializing in fraud prevention for corporate clients. In 2013, his company was arbitrarily shut down by Shanghai police. Peter and his wife were subsequently incarcerated for 23 months, on false charges of illegally obtaining personal information of Chinese citizens. Peter started studying Mandarin when he was only 15 years old. He then obtained a first class honors degree in Chinese studies from Durham University. Before entering the business world, he spent two decades as a foreign correspondent, including 17 of them with Reuters. He's currently affiliated with Harvard University, King's College, London and Chatham House. You can see his contributions among others in The Diplomat, TheArticle.com, Sunday Times and Financial Times.
1: Well, thank you for coming, Peter. Um, the first question is about um, your background, your professional and personal background. If you can tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Well, um, I shudder to think that I've been involved with China in various ways now for 45 years. That um, I, I started my involvement by studying Chinese at Durham University, where, where I obtained my Sinology degree. Um, And within this 45-year span I mentioned, I've lived in the China, Greater China region for about 25 years in total. Um, I spent a part of my career in Eastern Europe and the Balkans, mostly as a foreign correspondent, and then the latter part of my career almost uh, entirely in in China with my family. Um, I was a fraud investigator for about 15 years after leaving journalism and I had my own company for 10 years and um, that's uh, essentially uh, what led to our demise in in China was Investigating issues for a client who had cheated and lied to us about the reasons for the investigation. And this brought us into a collision with the Chinese police and somebody who was using them um, to get her revenge against my client. So we were kind of caught in, in, uh, in a pincer or between a hammer and an anvil in this situation. And we ended up spending nearly two years in captivity in Shanghai on false charges. And then we were released in in June 2015, and I was immediately diagnosed here in the UK with cancer. And this was all really a consequence of having been um, denied medical treatment, medical investigation and appropriate treatments while I was in captivity. They knew very well that I had a prostate problem and that it was developing, um, but they didn't do anything about it. They tried to use my medical needs as uh, an instrument of extortion, to extort uh, false confession from me to crimes I have never committed. Um, and since I have been released from China in 2015, I've been living in my native UK, mostly preoccupied with medical treatments for cancer and PTSD and other problems, but also litigating against my former client, GlaxoSmithKline in the United States, who were responsible for bringing us into this trouble. Um, and writing part-time, part-time activists, part-time journalists. And um, I've been lobbying against, uh, against the Chinese state-owned broadcaster, CCTV and CGTN, with Ofcom, the UK TV regulator, over its abuse of um, uh, prisoners in China. These broadcast stations have been participating very proactively with the police in extracting and broadcasting forced confessions Uh, from prisoners in China under duress. I was a victim of that myself. And My latest um, journalism efforts have been very much part-time, but um, most recently I wrote a series of Christmas stories highlighting um, the use of prison labour in China.
1: So the Chinese prison law states that prison will combine uh, punishment and reform for criminals with the principle of combined education and labour to change the
2: criminals into lower Biden citizens. What does this look like from your experience? Well, from my experience, and, and please we have to remember that my experience was um, w- w- within a cell-, cell block which was intended uh, for foreign citizens uh, in Qingpu Prison. In my, in my earlier pre-trial stage in the detention centre, pre-trial detention centre, I was with a mixed population of detainees, uh, mostly Chinese but some, some foreigners. So those uh, environments are not identical to the environments of all prisoners in China. In the prison itself, I did not see what was happening much with the Chinese prison population, but only the foreign prison population. And when it comes to the issue of reform and punishment, um, there's not much reform. It's pretty much all punishment. Um, basically, you know, prison is there to try and grind you down, crush you. Write um, re confessions every day. You know, thought reports which are admissions of guilt or repentance statements, um, daily, weekly, monthly, annual reports, and so forth. Um, And in this foreign prisoners' brigade, as they called cell blocks in China, there were about 150 foreign citizens there while I was there. And essentially, they were pushed into writing these confessions all the time. Um, they were given jobs, um, but it was optional whether you had to participate in uh, in manufacturing labor, labor. But you had to do something, okay. So part of the reform process is supposedly, you know, doing some kind of labor. It might be cleaning the corridors, so a kind of communal job, um, or it might be taking care of the mini library, which is a s- sort of communal job as well, or it might be serving food at meal times. Um, but about half of the prisoners agreed to actually perform in some kind of manufacturing labour. And through all this labour activity, all of the prisoners are, are trying to acquire merit points which contribute towards their eligibility to apply for some form of sentence reduction. Um, they can also earn those points through other forms of good behaviour as well, perhaps doing some teaching or, or perhaps um, uh, studying something seriously um, or snitching. Okay, so there are various ways in which people could earn the merit points and in reality no one took any of the reform side of things seriously and even the warders in these prisons they're not taking this seriously when someone hands in a a repentance report or a confession of guilt guilt report um, they're just looking at it and ticking the bottom of it and no one really cares what's in it the prisoner just has to appear to be going through these motions and not causing any trouble. Um, So that is what I saw. And it's changed quite dramatically since I was there because now every single prisoner um, in my former cell block is compelled to participate in manufacturing labour where the prison is completing orders for commercial companies. Um, And if they don't participate in that, then they will not be eligible to earn merit points which would qualify them to apply for a reduction in sentence Um, so it's become a much harsher environment for the foreign prisoners in my cell block during the four and a half years since i left it i don't believe that any chinese prisoner walking out of prison or any foreign prisoner walking out of prison in china comes out as a reformed new man i think this is complete nonsense and essentially the prison is there to punish, 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 to grind you down. It's also there to profit from you because every single prison in China is actually an economic enterprise. And it's part of an industry called the prison enterprise, uh, effectively. Every prison has manufacturing labor operations which are um, f- performing contracts to order for various companies, some of them Chinese and some of them foreign. And I don't think they care really about reform. They just want to go through the, the the lip service of reform. Not a single prisoner comes out as a reformed man.
0: A really powerful take uh, about the discrepancies between the so-called uh, overall objective of, of, of reform, but in the end, it's really more uh, about punishment. And I think it was also interesting what you said And in the last four and a half years, um, the prison system has become harsher and more difficult. So you had general human rights violations when it comes to the treatment of prisoners, but you've also now uh, have seen a move from voluntary to mandatory forced labor. And I thought, uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, when speaking about the last four and a half years since my release, I rely heavily on Um, prisoners who have been released during that period and who I've made an effort to get in touch with after their releases um, and gradually collected information about any changes that have taken place and among the changes that have taken place are this it was voluntary to work on the manufacturing labor you could opt out you could opt to study something approved or you could opt to do something in terms of a communal job within the prison block rather than manufacturing labor that's no longer possible and in order to compel prisoners to play along with this they have for example they have um, interfered with the transmission of funds from families to prisoners in in, in the prison you know historically families could send a bit of money which the prisoners could use to buy their their toiletries and other daily necessities and small clothing items from a prison shopping system. Um, Now if you refuse to participate in the manufacturing labor they will not allow you to receive that money that your family has sent you. This is one example. They're also uh, prohibiting uh, prisoners from making calls to their family because prisoners were allowed to make 15 minutes of calls split into two calls, so seven and a half minutes each per month uh, while I was there. And now, if a prisoner does not agree to do the manufacturing labour, he will not be allowed to make those calls. Those are a couple of examples. There are other so-called privileges uh, which could be taken away from them. One of them is a thing called extra food, because from that shopping system in the prison, prisoners could actually buy a small package of extra food each month mm. and they probably get one item per week from that package. Well, they can't do that if they're not playing ball on this prison labour. But the most important thing of all is that if you have a long sentence, you do want to see that sentence reduced. And it's becoming very, very difficult for a prisoner who's on a life sentence to get that reduced to a fixed term or a prisoner who's on a, a long reduced life sentence which is now a fixed term of say 19 years or something to get that further reduced through merit Um, and so what's happening is you know these prisoners are now being uh, forced to do this manufacturing labor which brings profit to the prison forced to do that otherwise they will not even be allowed to apply for a reduction never mind see it approved So they just can't get those points anymore. These are very serious infringements of human rights, in my Mm. opinion. Because if you want to produce a reformed man, you must give him hope as well. And you must treat him with dignity. And I can assure you there is absolutely no dignity given to the prisoners who I met in Mm. the prison system in China.
1: Yeah. Mm. And I wanted to place this in a wider context, or global if you like. Um, You mentioned in your conversation with the Financial Times that your contacts brought you a copy of the uh, United Nations Treaties on Imprisonment and Mm -hmm. Torture. What can you tell us about those standards, and how does your experience of the prison system relate to those treaties?
2: In brief, um, while I was still in the pre-trial detention centre, I actually, I think, asked for the, the first time, I asked to my consular officers to bring me a copy of the UN convention on the minimum standards for the treatment of prisoners and the convention on torture because i wanted to to measure these up and compare them with the realities that i was witnessing and experiencing uh, but it wasn't until after i was transferred to chingpu prison following a, a rather sham trial that i eventually got those documents uh, a couple of two or three months maybe after my transfer into chingpu And I went through them and I was quite surprised because they they have checklists in these documents. So so basically, there are boxes uh, that should be ticked if a prison or a regime is living up to the requirements of those two international treaties. And, you know, when I went down these boxes and considered things like, for example, furniture, furnished cell, the detention centre cells were completely unfurnished. 12 people sleeping on the floor, a lot of them having to sleep on their sides because they can't fit in on the floor, and so forth. Um, and no contact with your family when, when you're in the detention centre, um, no correspondence with the family is normally allowed, uh, and no visits with family is normally allowed, and so forth, until you've been convicted in the trial. And then when you get into the prison, in theory you can have communication with your family again, and... Um, Actually, my wife didn't because they made excuses about not being able to um, facilitate international calls. Um, In my case, I did. Um, But the the phone lines were cut at one point towards the end of my uh, captivity to prevent me from making calls. All the prisoners in my block couldn't make calls because of me. Uh, because I had been passing out information about my state of health, my cancer, and so forth to my son. Now, these things are uh, very basic uh, rights written into those two treaties, but there are lots of other small print conditions in there, lots of other boxes to tick. And when I went through this list, I realized that China would probably fail on 60 or 70% of the boxes on this list. Um, and um, I shared these documents with a few cellmates in Chingpu prison. They were very interested, very excited about it. And before I left, I enabled um, other prisoners to copy two or three hand copies of uh, uh, these documents. And they began to circulate because they realized, the prisoners realized that um, this was an argument that they could make mm-hmm. as a basis in a complaint to their own consular officers or to the governor of the prison. Um, That was shortly before I left Qingpu, so I don't know how successful they were.
0: In December of last year, a six-year-old girl from Tooting in South London found a Plia for help inside a Christmas card that her family had bought at Tesco. The plea had been written by prisoners from Shanghai Jingpu Prison, the very same prison uh, that you were held captive at and that we just heard about. The plea stated that the prisoners are forced to work and ask recipients to inform human rights organizations. You were also personally named uh, to be contacted.
2: This began with a, a message to me on my LinkedIn account from a man called Ben Whitticombe, who is an ordinary Londoner, an ordinary Londoner who is a civil servant and rather ironically he's a civil, civil servant involved in um, um, criminal justice within the government. And he contacted me through a LinkedIn message saying he'd found me online through research after seeing my name on a Christmas card and the story he gave me was that his little girl who's six years old had been writing Christmas cards for her schoolmates, um, cheap Christmas cards with a lovely little picture of kittens in Santa hats. Um, and she found one that had writing in it. And she turned around and said, oh, no, Daddy, someone's already written in this card. And he looked at it, and he studied it carefully and realized um, what it was. So the message basically was saying, you know, we are we are foreign prisoners working in Chingpu in, in, in prison's foreign prisoners brigade, um, being forced to uh, work. And uh, we want you to bring this to the attention of human rights organisations and to Peter Humphrey at the FT. They thought I worked for the FT. Of course, I'm, I'm not working for the FT. I was just a, a freelancer. Um, but. When I saw this, um, and because Ben actually sent me a photograph of this card with the writing in it, um, I was quite um, <coughs> quite moved because um, this came from my own um, cell block in Chimpu Prison, um, and I recognised the handwriting of a prisoner who I had been friendly with in the prison. Um, it took me a day, really, before I had the confidence confidence to say to myself, "Yes, that is his handwriting." But I pretty much recognised it immediately, and um, and later I wrote as much um, that I had re- that I had recognised it. Um, so, this man was somebody who had always refused to participate in manufactured labour. When I was there, he didn't participate in it. He was a kind of refusernick, He was. Um, um, a non-conformist who didn't write all those reports that they wanted, and so forth and so forth. He was um, an African, and um, he um, had, from time to time, asked me to help him write things because he, he, he hadn't had a lot of school. And um, so he wanted to write a letter to the governor, for example, to complain about conditions. He asked me to write it for him and then he copied it in his own, own handwriting. So I helped him with two or three things like that while I was in Ching And that is why I recognised his handwriting. Mm. He, wrote, he wrote in capital letters. So that's what happened. Um, and, you know, it was just an absolute amazing coincidence of circumstances and opportunity because it came from my soul block. It addressed me. I realised who it was. Um, and... Um, it was just a week before Christmas that Mr Whittaker contacted me. So I realised that this was a very important story that had to get out. And I went to the Sunday Times with it because I have some history of relationship there. Um, discussed it and we decided that we would produce the story together under my byline. So I didn't do it alone. I mean, I wrote uh, the main story and I, I contacted all the former prisoners who I knew who had been released in the last year, because that was crucial to confirm the details of the Christmas card packaging work. And so in the end, I had five or six different prisoners who had been released in the past 12 months, who knew and had seen and some had participated in the packaging of the Tesco Christmas cards. So this was all confirmed, it stood up. And as... uh, uh, um, two of the prisoners actually were willing to be named. So in the stories I wrote, you'll find at least um, two mm. two real names. Um, so that was it. And, and um, as a result of pursuing the Tesco story with prisoners, I also got leads on another product, which was Quaker Oats. And a, a couple of weeks after Christmas, I managed to get enough detail on that story to make it stand up as well, that the prisoners had been packaging... Um, oats in in large packages for.
1: Quaker yeah. that's where I want to come in. Um, so these multinational corporations have repeatedly um, claimed that their suppliers meet the international labour standards. What does your experience say about corporate social responsibility on this side of the world?
2: Well, rather uniquely, I have that background as being a China specialist. I have background as a China specialist and as a due diligence specialist because for 15 years, the second half of my career, I was working in the field of due diligence, which meant investigating supply chains for some of my clients. Um, So I had that background, and I had the background of the prison experience. So I was in a unique position to comment on on this whole issue of supply chain and corporate social responsibility. Um, In my view, um, it's almost impossible for multinational companies to drill down through the supply chain to the bottom of the pond and to be certain that no prison labour or no other form of illicit and unethical labour, such as child labour, is involved. It is simply not possible to do that in China. First of all, that kind of investigation is prohibited by the authorities. So foreign companies can no longer do that kind of thing legally in China. But secondly, you know... If you're producing low margin, low level type of product, very small profit margin, when you farm out work to a Chinese manufacturer, you can write whatever guarantees into the contract you like and rights of order, audit, um, but it, it, will not, it will not help you. It will not give you enough assurance that things like that are not happening because they will then subcontract part of the work further down the line And there could be three or four different levels and layers of this subcontracting, onward subcontracting. And you simply can't find out by going and auditing your so-called supplier what he has subcontracted downstream um, to people who you're never going to get to see. And And if it is in a prison somewhere, the prison will have created an enterprise, it will have registered an enterprise, and you probably can't get hold of the shareholder details to to realise that it's actually owned by a prison. Um, there are many examples of this. Um, and we've seen other examples of these kind of whistleblower messages over the last ten years, uh, blowing the whistle on, on forced labour in prisons, such as the Marsandia case. That um, uh, you really can't get to the bottom of it. And you know, when we were working in the investigation business before our own ordeal, we actually saw a few examples of this in our work. Um, we were working for an American manufacturer, um, Corning Glass, which had um, supply chains in China, and we discovered that one of their suppliers was a prison. Um, and in my work in anti-counterfeit investigations for Kroll, when I was an employee of Kroll Associates, we found a couple of prisons making counterfeits and that meant we couldn't raid them because they were behind a fortress. So I I really don't think, there's only only one solution I think for foreign manufacturers Mm -hmm. in low margin, low type of product like paper products, clothing, shoes etc. and that is don't do it in China, why don't you manufacture them in another country.
0: And what does that mean actually for the consumers side? What would you recommend there?
2: Well, the consumers, unfortunately, consumers only really hear about these things in incidents like the one that we have with Tesco cards at Christmas, um, or the Halloween decorations in America a few few years ago. Um, and I think that after people saw this story, and it, it absolutely went viral this this, this Christmas story, um, I'm pretty sure that a large segment of the population at least heard it or noticed it briefly. And it should prick their conscience. It really should. And I would say to consumers everywhere, don't buy these very low margin, low level cheap products from China. I think you're okay with, with higher tech sort of things, you know, machinery and so forth. It's not, it's not worth the candle for, for manufacturers to um, cut pennies on those things. But with the low price stuff, I just think you should avoid anything made in China.
1: Well, thank you, Peter.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast.
1: For those listening, if you do have any questions or comments, please find us on Twitter via at declarationspod or like us on Facebook. You can also send us an email at editor at declarationspod.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on today's discussion.
0: You can also check out our website at declarationspod.com, where each podcast has a companion piece with more information about each episode and links to additional resources. These packages are put together by our show notes writer, Katharina Omel, Our media manager is Pam Malik. Our sound editor is Helen Jennings. Matt Mahmoudi and Max Curtis are our producers. And Jingmin Tan is our executive producer. For more declarations, please subscribe to our Apple podcast or Spotify. And please do tune in next time for more declarations.